Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for coming back to Sales Synergistics Podcast. I am honored and privileged to be joined by Mike Wittenstein, the founder and CEO of StoryMiners, a fantastic organization that he's been working with for many years, teaching story as a strategy to companies all over the world. And we're going to welcome here to tell us a little bit about what he does. Tell us a little bit about your career track and what led you through, um, you know, your, your corporate world to be your own man here in Story Miners. Uh, maybe some of the things that relate uh, to your interactions with sales that um, brought you to the Sales Synergistics podcast today. Okay. Uh, in my second year of graduate school, I found out that consultants get to learn faster than almost any other major, except maybe for doctors. And it's really true. You work with a lot of different clients instead of staying in one business. You always hear their problems and issues. You see the situations that they're in. And you come to develop this ability to sense patterns, um, like what decisions did they make in the past that led them to today? And if you make those your own, you tend to get pretty good at figuring out how companies got where they were and what they need to do to go where they want to go. So doing the consulting thing right out of graduate school, or actually when I was still in graduate school, was just a blessing for me because I, I found my people. I found the place where I felt really at home. And I love to tell people that I, uh, I get paid to tell people what to do. My definition <laughs> of consulting. <laughs> right. So um, I worked for um, Bank of America in uh, San Francisco for a short time. Um, I worked as a vice president of marketing for Kinko's and helped them expand in the Southeast into Louisiana and into Florida. That's when I got my first taste of customer experience, which to me is just a different kind of storytelling. Um, I hooked up with Cushman and Wakefield, a New York based real estate firm to um, work in their Boca Raton office uh, doing land flips, you know, where you, you buy up a lot of uh, like undeveloped properties, like, you know, raw land, they call it. And right, you wait and right. you wait and you wait until somebody wants to put a shopping center there and then you make a fortune. The trick is to do it at just the right time. So right. I did that for a while and it brought me up to Atlanta. And then one day I was looking at the, this is a personal story. Is it okay to share that? Please do. All right. So I was in the office. Uh, it was um, near the top floor of one of the downtown office buildings. And there was all this talk going on for months about how we were moving into the brand new Atlantic Center, then called the IBM Tower at 14th and Peachtree. It's going to mm -hmm. be the first big building in Midtown and Cushman and Wakefield got the leasing um, agreement for it. So I go in and I look at the floor plans on this big table and everybody's standing around and I couldn't find my name. And that's when I found out that I was going to be let go. It was such a sad day. <laughs> oh, What a weird way to find out, too. That's so, awful. Yeah, that was awful. But that was a good kick in the pants for me, too, because that got me um, back to consulting. So I started my own company called Wittenstein and & Associates, and we did uh, small business consulting, some of the first uh, CRM implementations, operations management. Just as databases were first starting to come out, I got to apply that. Uh, in the real world to help experiences go better and companies run better. I hooked up with a creative director and uh, we've started a company called Galileo. It was one of the world's first digital agencies and ran that from about 92 to 98. Then I joined IBM as an e-visionary. At IBM, um, I learned about systems thinking, lots about technology, 
with the title of eVisionary, of course, I was looking at, you know, what's the future and got to work with some companies on some very progressive things like deskless check-in for Wingate Inns, embedded Internet of Things for the National Thoroughbred Racing Association, um, mobile drive-through ordering, you know, for McDonald's, which they just rolled out last year. After 20 years of doing that preliminary work, it just blew me away how long it took. Better late than never. Yeah, exactly. And the food still tastes the same. Well, how about that? <laughs> and then, um, since I learned about customer experience and systems thinking at IBM, I started my own firm called Story Miners in 2002. So now it's been about 800 projects and about $2 billion in impact, including some of the work that we did at IBM. And uh, it's just been it's just been amazing. Every year is different. Every month is different. But we're always like staying at the crest of the wave, which is a very exciting place to be. And it takes a lot of balance. Right, right. You know, you and I are both IBM survivors, right? <laughs> we, you know, we were both um, uh, there and, and went through some work with the company and uh, part of very large outplacements at various times. And I was actually what they called at IBM a retread. I got to come back again. <laughs> And uh, it was interesting with IBM being this big global company. I guess they used to be able to say that they were a hardware company, right? They sold computers. Now they're just generally a technology company. Felt like a consultant. It really did. I had to go and talk to people about whatever they were doing and and talk about their technologies and their needs in very abstract ways because we were dealing with middleware and things like that. And the story uh, that you, you talked about was always an important part of it. You know, what are you trying to achieve? Where are you trying to go? Uh, how can we weave what we do into the, the story you're trying to write? And that was a very important part of it. And you're right. It took a lot of learning on the fly. It took a lot of open communication and listening without uh, thinking something in advance. And yeah, I, I got a sense for, you know, uh, what people's stories meant to them. So I'm really resonating with the stuff you're saying here. That's cool, Jason. You said something really important, um, not thinking about what you're going to say next. It's really important, in my opinion, to be um, co-developers of story with mm. your clients. You don't really write it. You don't really tell it. You develop it with somebody else. And if you do it well, they do three things with your story that makes all the difference in the world. The first thing they do is they discover what you're saying. So you've got mm -hmm. to engineer in some discovery points rather than being so articulate and boring that you tell them everything. It just, it sucks all the energy and the life and the intrigue out of your story, whatever it is. The second thing is your story has to be an experience. You don't just deliver it verbally. You have to paint pictures with your words. You have to describe smells and actions, drama and intrigue, just like you would in a work of literature, nonfiction. And the third thing, and this is the most important thing about story, you'll know that you've done it well when the experience that you give turns into a story that other people share. Mm. That is the magic. And finding out what that is, is not so easy, but it's not impossible. Anybody can do it. And that's why we named our company Story Miners. Gotcha. I love what you just said there, that good storytelling precipitate stories about the stories. That's fantastic. You talked about several different steps there. What are some of the, the techniques you use to, to teach your clients how to do this storytelling better? You know, it's really hard to convey that in a podcast because mm -hmm. stuff goes pretty deep. I'm happy to share it. I'll, I'll share a couple of techniques. One is helping people understand that they need to tell the story that their audience needs to hear 
not the one that they want to share. So one of the easiest things to tell people and one of the hardest behaviors to change is to switch your language from I to you. So mm. let's, let's try that out. So uh, Jason, ask me what I do. Hey, so what is it that you do for a living? Well, I'm a consultant and I help clients get better results. And I went to a really good school and I have a bunch of designations and aren't you bored already? <laughs> it's uh, very much the same old, same old. Yeah. Now ask me again. So, um, Mike, tell me a little bit about yourself. What is it you do? Well, you know, my clients could probably tell you best. Let me tell you a story about what I did for a company called iPay Technologies. Mike Bowers, the CEO, came to me because we had worked at one of his previous companies together. And he said, we're growing so fast. I want to make sure that we don't lose our small company feel as we double every year. And they did that for seven years. So he asked me, how do I get my folks to, you know, to get on board with our small business culture, but still grow the business? How can I attract people from much larger markets like New York and Chicago, and they're in financial services, or they were at the time, how can I get them to move to little Elizabethtown, Kentucky? Well, blah, 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 blah. See how the, the, the tone there is all about the client becoming the hero? It is. And how did it feel to you? Oh, much more engaging. Like I could actually picture what in the world does little Elizabethtown, Kentucky look like? I mean, I've seen a, a bunch of whistle stop towns out there. And I, just saying that, weaving it in there, got me to be engaged and creative and picturing the place that they live. And it said a lot about the company. I love Thank it. You. All right. Let me yeah. ask you a couple of questions. From the, the second story, the one mm -hmm. about iPay, um, what was my relationship with Michael Bowers like? It sounded like it was very uh, engaging and personal. It sounded yeah. like he trusted you to a great degree and felt like you, from the things he knew about you, could actually yeah. help him solve his problems. Yeah, that, that's all true. And isn't it interesting how your brain filled that in? It is. And it you is. discovered that. I didn't say, oh, I was great with Michael and I was one of his best consultants and I was, you know, so phenomenal that he trusted me and I always did this and I, 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 I didn't do that. You figured that out. So you're going to believe yourself more than that first version, you know, all about credentials and experience and I, 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 what do you think about that guy? Right. You want to prove it. Like, first of all, you don't really care, but if it matters to you spending your uh, personal social capital and, and risking your credibility to uh, recommend this person as a consultant for your business, then now you just have more stuff to go and prove and to disprove. You're seeking ways to, to, to make sure you're not being taken for a ride. Bingo. And that, that feeling that you're describing right now, Jason, is what I call disqualifying. So mm -hmm. we have so many messages bombarding us now. The first thing we do is disqualify, especially salespeople. And then you know, we try again to disqualify I them because we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to be burned. You know, we don't want to get triggered, oh, no. if you will. So you step into that wrong lane of, you know, self-aggrandizement and talking about yourself and you've already lost. You've already lost the game. But you have to really retool yourself. You have to wire yourself differently to really care about other people. You can't just like throw a switch and make that happen. It takes some practice. It takes a little work on your heart and your mind and your mouth to get that to come into line. But it's one of the most rewarding things you can do. I didn't used to be that way. 
And now I am that way all the time and I really like it. And so do others. It's a, I highly recommend focusing on others, you know, following the servant leadership approach and all of that. It doesn't mean that you can't be hard charging and a leader and an innovator, that you can't um, rally the troops and do all those other kinds of things. It's just a way of making sure that you're human, that your communications are human, and that you're connecting with other human beings. Um, lose sight of that, and you basically lose your audience. Awesome. I like it. I like it a lot. I, I want to ask you something about um, the, the perception of storytelling in the industry right now. It seems as though um, storytelling is coming up all over the place. It's really in vogue right now. I've heard it come up on several different podcasts, leaderships, trainings, uh, different sales coaches, of which there are so many now. And it seems that it's, it's very much a hot topic. You know, I've been around long enough to know that whenever something new hits the market, it's not new. And a lot of people do the same old behaviors mm. and just call what they do new. So whether it's total quality or stories or customer experience or some new kind of research, you know, even artificial intelligence, everybody wants to be on the cutting edge, it seems, so that they can keep their businesses vital and continue to sell. Now people call it pivots, you know, things like that. But uh, it's all about everybody learning a little bit more and moving their businesses forward. The way the world works, in my opinion, is that uh, companies have a lot less influence than they think. Customers are influenced by so many different brands and companies and individuals and personas that they end up evolving a little bit faster than most companies do. As a result, they have unmet needs. And in our world today, those unmet needs are appearing at an ever greater rate than before. And it's up to the companies to kind of respond to those. Um, where that's all going is, in my opinion, being able to tell a really good story is just a skill. Speakers have been doing it for a long time. We've, we're wired as humans to understand story and to lean in. We know innately that we learn how to live mm -hmm. by living other stories. We learn by listening to other stories. We don't have to have every experience in the world to know that you know putting your hand on a fire is hot. You just know because other people's experience becomes part of your life. So story by itself isn't anything amazing, but what it can do, because it's very human and because it's, um, it's how we're wired, is it can connect ideas to people. Mm -hmm. It can connect people to people. It can give you or let you transmit a reason for others to care. And story can also be, and there are lots of definitions for it, story can also be a representation of the experience that you give, if that makes sense to you. You give people a great experience like Disney does. The guests go tell their friends. Everybody wants to go back. That was actually Disney's formula. And his quote was something like, you know, this business is easy. All you have to do is give people an experience that they love so much that they want to come back and bring their friends. That's wonderful. Isn't that interesting? So he, he's a, a storyteller in many different ways. He was the first uh, omni-channel, multi-channel guy, in my opinion, started mm -hmm. off with animated films, did books, did right. movies, started theme parks, bought islands, cruise ships. You know, now they're doing entire worlds. And today, by the way, is the, the day in California that the Star Wars oh, um, environment opens up. They've uh, really commercialized story and turned it into entertainment. 
I didn't have all that. We're way off track. Bring it me back all, on track. It so we all can... comes together. That's the beauty of it. It all does fit together. In fact, some of the stuff you just talked about fits really well with what you mentioned a little while back. Uh, you know, the trigger for me in thinking about that was uh, you mentioned the unmet needs, right? You mentioned the un- unmet needs leading to disappointment mm-hmm. and all the stories that we promote as we seek to define our brand, both personally and as a as a company, as an organization, it's setting up expectations for our customers that if unmet, um, it could probably be a double edged sword for us that we're, we're potentially setting uh, expectations that won't necessarily be met, especially in some of these big organizations once they actually interact with the company where the rubber meets the road. Have you seen that? in your experience with, with customers? Absolutely. It happens all the time. I'm curious to know what you've seen. Who, who oh, keeps the promises they make and who so doesn't? So from a personal branding perspective, usually it comes down to food, right? I mean, for me, I'm a, I'm a food guy. I'm a big foodie. And uh, when I hear about something being great, not just in the taste of the food, but the way you're treated when you walk in the door and the experience you have in that restaurant, I'm walking in with a story in my mind already of what that should be. You know, I, I might be expecting the best <laughs> food I've ever had in my life when I walk through that door. But if it's just average or mediocre, I'll be very, very disappointed, even if it was very good. So good, good. Well, you asked me a minute ago about techniques, and I'd like to share one more based on what you've just talked about. What you've done, Jason, is highlighted the intimate connection between story and experience. When a brand puts together an experience, Customers experience it, no pun intended, as a story. They live the story. They're in the story. If it's done right, they're the hero of the story. And then they tell their friends about it. So first comes experience and then comes story. Or wait a minute. If you're a friend that hears that story, you get the story first. And then, like Disney said, you Mm -hmm. want to go have that experience for yourself. And that's part of human wiring. There's this built-in loop that we can all create value with and enjoy. So if you put the right clues into your experience, then you give people the option to discover those clues for themselves and draw their own conclusions about how great the food is, how wonderful the service is, how delicious Mm. the wine pairing is. And if you tell people too much, you take away the joy of discovery you steal the opportunity for them to learn something on their own. So the balance in making promises with stories and experiences is to tell enough, Mm. but not to tell too much. As we're focused wholly on sales here at Sales Synergistics and Aslan, we're very uh, tuned in to making sure that what we deliver meets the expectations of our customers. But it seems as though a lot of times the stories that are uh, engineered that should reach the customers um, fall short once it gets into the hands of the sales or the customer service team to actually deliver to the customer. I don't know if it's a matter of belief, but there seems to be a disconnect with the leadership and what Steve Cannon calls the edge, the edge of the organization where the, the customer actually meets the brand. Uh, what is the reason that those stories get so diluted? Sounds like you'd make a good client. I hear that question a lot <laughs> when I'm working it. professionally. 
You know, it's really hard to give one answer for every situation because everybody listening to this podcast is going, oh, I know what Jason's talking about. And everyone's thinking about something really different. So there is no one size fits all solution. But here are some of the, or and here are some of the reasons I've seen in my career. One is you make a promise without backing it up. Hey, we're going to have this brand new car and everybody can go on a test drive and we're doing advertisements in the newspaper and the radio. A hundred people show up and there's only one car and 88 people walk away disappointed and it's frustrating for the, the salespeople and it creates a lot of ill will. Not cool. Another one might be, um, and this happened at a um, a retailer I went to about six or seven years ago, they advertised this amazing tree house with this <laughs> brand. So they have this beautiful commercial about this dad and this boy who were building a tree house together. And he let, he gives the boy the hammer and he nails in the final nail of the tree house and they smile at each other. It's going to be a memory for life. So I go in and they don't have anything for that. I was expecting to find at least a cut list of products and, you know, instructions. They didn't have that. They didn't even have swings or the screws that you put the stairs together in, or the rope, you know, pre pre knotted for the right size. You know, they had nothing. So they had this beautiful commercial, but they didn't do anything with it. And the third example is when the brand over promises and uh, it doesn't give the people on the front lines, imagine a call center, the instructions on what to do on, yeah, there is a discount code for this, or here's where the instructions are. They just, they fail to mm-hmm. operationalize it. You know, I've actually called, I've had clients who have um, put up, wanted to put up billboards. This was a long time ago. And I'd call to check the number and the number wasn't working. That's like, that's crazy. So what happens is there's not an end to end check done. It's not designed as an experience and people will say things that they want, but they won't support them. And that's really, really, really short term thinking. Uh, I've gone into training environments where I'm delivering uh, skills and techniques for, for sales reps to improve their performance. And the first 30 minutes to an hour of the time is a list of stories that they can tell about how they feel unsupported. You know, well, we want to do better, but we don't have this. These are the things that they're asking us to do. Uh, we don't have enough time. We, we don't have the tools we need. They want us to make bricks with no straw. And how much it dilutes the desire to want to take Absolutely. care of their customers well when they feel less than supported internally. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I want to tell you where StoryMiners is headed. Um, we're working on our new website, and it's going to shift our organization to a brand new trajectory. Instead of focusing mostly on customer experience and those kinds of things, we're going to be doubling down on story. And it turns out from about 100 interviews I've done with CEOs of large and medium-sized companies that many of them, men and women, are very frustrated by their team's inability to understand their strategic intent. They're frustrated that their troops won't follow them. What I've been able to talk about in some, how do I say this? Mm. Uh, I've been able to be gentle uh, and also introduce the idea that maybe Mm. it's not your team, maybe it's you. And most of them say, oh, tell me more. Now we've got shifting customer needs, new technologies, competition coming from all over the world and from out-of-segment competitors. You've got to be building what's new, thinking short, medium, and long-term at the same time. So 
what we're going to be helping these execs with is fine-tuning their strategies to the point that they can become a story Mm -hmm. told from the future. So we move everybody into the future. We tell the story with all the details in place so that the person reading it becomes the hero in that story of the future. And if it includes an app that senses when customers walk in the door or something else that would enhance the service or the experience, we'll write that into the story in vivid detail. We'll describe the experience and each person's role in it. Now, each person doesn't mean 10,000 people. We'd use very select roles for that. But by doing the experience design and some of the process work as part of fleshing out the strategy, everybody has a chance to see what is really intended versus what they think the leader means. And it's it's those translations from one deck mm-hmm. to another, one PowerPoint to another, that create a lot of confusion and strife and give rise to politics that, that aren't very helpful because people protect their turf and they mm. think their way is the right way. Marketing thinks this, sales thinks that, operations and technology think something else. So getting everybody on the same page by sharing a unique, like a universal story of this is how the future should look gives everybody a chance to aim for the same goal. So they can still be in their different departments and they can start to make the transitions necessary oh. to deliver on that new promise. So that future story perspective is what Storyminer's new deal Please, is. Please, let's stay in touch to find out how I can help because every great speaker from Churchill on down has been able to inspire by telling stories of what the future is going to be and get people on board. And that creates a, a type of positive emotion uh, that is way better than just alleviating pain. It's way better than avoiding some future potential mm-hmm. discomfort, but to talk about the wonderful, soaring, beautiful gains and uh, the sales reps who win are able to put the person they're talking to into that story, you know, paint them as the hero of that story. If you'll just help us get through this transaction, you're going to be a hero of this future state. That's so important. But the reality is, is things are changing much faster than any of us can see. And we need to check in with our real customers and our future customers to find out what's important to them, to find out how they measure value. It's not always done in dollars. Sometimes it's done in memories or time savings or a feeling of connectedness or relationship. Sometimes it's about self-actualization or security. And understanding what customers value early means that you can prepare your organization to deliver it more easily, more naturally, and at lower cost. And that's the part that people kind of skip because there's that bias that comes in. Oh, I think I know what everybody wants. And they paint their own picture. The reason those great orators that you mentioned before from Churchill on down, in my opinion, did such a good job is they had conversations Mm. with the people that they served. Churchill would talk to normal people all the time to find out what they were thinking. R.H. Macy, the founder of Macy's, would walk around and talk to to ladies that were shopping. Why did you pick that shade of lipstick, he would ask? Or did you know that we have this? It's less expensive. It's in this department over here. So he's constantly learning and educating. And that's, I think, what our leaders need to be doing more of. And we have so many great market researchers and so much amazing technology to get a beat on what customers want. But we have to build what customers want not what we want for them so that we can make a sale. Customer experience oriented companies, the, 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 the more successful ones that are 
pivoting more quickly. They're outpacing the competition by, you know, I've heard 15 to 65% when it comes to financials. They're throwing, the, they're not throwing the towel in, they're wrapping their customers up in it and doing their bidding. I think that's the best place to end on. Uh, the one thing I want to, to give everybody the opportunity to do is get more of this fantastic knowledge that uh, you've been dropping on us today. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about um, how to reach out to you, the best way to find out more about you and Story Miners? Sure. Uh, the best way is to look at our new website, www.storyminers.com. It's S-T-O-R-Y-M-I-N-E-R-S. And if you'd like to connect with me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my contact information is under the contact tab. Mike Wittenstein, W-I-T-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. I look forward to chatting with anybody who's interested. And Jason, thank you so much for the thank opportunity. Thank you so much. And I'm excited, so excited to, to now be able to work with you a little more in the future and see the future of Story Miners. And we'll be in touch for the next uh, evolution of you and your business. Thank you, sir. Thank you.